You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. Wonderful. It's my privilege this morning to bring us the final message in our chosen series. And really, we're just seeking to remind ourselves and to better understand that we are a chosen people. And this week, our title is Chosen to Intercede. Now, I understand intercede is a little bit of a big word. And and really, it just simply means to act or to interpose on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble by pleading or petition. And we are chosen to intercede. And if you know your Bible at all, it won't surprise you that we'll be looking today at the book of Esther. And so this morning, at the risk of being cheesy, you've got Esther Story, that's my name, on the Esther Story. Whee, there we are. I preach on it once in seven years, and we'll say it then, and then we'll move on. So we're chosen. We're chosen to intercede. As we've been reminded the last few weeks, the words of Peter to the church says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He was writing this to the church, a church like you, people like you, you are God's chosen people. You've been chosen to be a son, chosen to be a daughter of God himself. You've been chosen to be part of a people that God has called to himself to be fruitful. The words of Jesus himself, John 15, 16, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, he says, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus' words himself giving us an early indication today that asking is part of being chosen. And we understand that whilst we're chosen to be something, to have a different identity, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be holy, to be blameless, that also we're chosen for purpose. As Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 2, 10, he says, for we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, prepared in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for us to do. This is not for some specific brand of Christian. This is for all Christians. You've been created in Christ Jesus with good works prepared in advance for you to do. Wow, you've been chosen. And so these last three weeks, we've been considering some of the Old Testament characters who were chosen. We looked at Daniel who was chosen to bring influence. Joseph chosen to bring the saving of many lives. And Moses chosen to lead others to freedom. And this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Esther. Now, the book of Esther is unique in the Bible because it's the only book in the whole Bible that doesn't mention God himself. You might have thought you would need to mention God to get positioned in the Bible, but no, the book of Esther has snuck in without it. And although it doesn't speak about God directly, that is not because God is absent from the story. In fact, maybe what you notice most through the story of Esther is that God is at work orchestrating events, maneuvering people, positioning people 
to work his purposes through them. I'm conscious here this morning, you may never have read the story of Esther. You may not know it. And so we're going to take really a whistle-stop tour through the story of Esther, dipping into some of the text as we go. And then we're going to take some learnings from it. So the book of Esther, it's a small book in the Old Testament. It's got 10 chapters. We don't know who wrote it. And it's set in about the 5th century B.C., in that era, God's people were exiled. They'd been, they'd been taken out of their land, Israel. It's, it's the same sort of era that Daniel was there when we heard about him a few weeks ago. Probably 50 to 100 years later than Daniel. There were perhaps three or four generations had come through since the Jews had been exiled from Israel. Some had begun to return there. Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll know about maybe. Uh, they'd gone back, but many Jews remained living in the kingdom of Persia as it now was. This is what would today uh, be called Iran, kingdom of Persia. It actually spread in that time from India to what is now Sudan. This is a massive, powerful superpower really on the globe as we enter it this morning. This was a powerful kingdom and it had a very powerful king and his name, funny name, King Xerxes. It's going to come up on there. I'm, uh, I, I'm told that's how you say it. So I'm going with that, King Xerxes. So the book opens with this king of this vast kingdom. And it tells us that for 180 days, which is six whole months, King Xerxes has gathered his nobles, his princes, his officials, his military leaders, and he's spending six months displaying to them his vast splendor and wealth in his kingdom. Wow. Six months. I don't know if you've thought how long it would take for you to display the splendor and the wealth of your kingdom. I think I'd be done in six minutes. Six months he took to show them everything. And then it says at the end of that six months, he had a seven-day banquet. And the, wine, and the Bible tells us that the wine flowed freely. Now, King Xerxes had a queen, Queen Vashti. And at the same time that he was holding a banquet with the men, she was holding a banquet for the women. On the seventh day of the banquet, we're told King Xerxes was in high spirits. And he commanded Queen Vashti to come into the banquet with the men so that her beauty could be looked upon. She was apparently very beautiful and lovely to look at. But horror upon horror, Queen Vashti refused to come. So King Xerxes, he spent six months displaying the wealth of his kingdom. And then at the moment that he asks his wife to come, she refuses. He is humiliated. He is livid. He is so furious. He consults with his aides. And within a very short time, Queen Vashti is deposed and her life in the palace is over. And we're going to pick up the text and just dip in this morning at Esther chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. It's going to come up on the screen, and this is what it says. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she'd done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Process began seeking beautiful girls for the king, a harem who would be given beauty treatments. Okay, now, if this was happening today, you can be sure this would be made into a reality TV program, yeah? <laughs> Choosing virgins for the king to spend a night with. Not one we should be watching, but you can be sure that if it was, it would be on telly, you'd be able to download the app, you'd be able to choose and vote um, 
But this was the fifth century BC, so we're a year or two too early for that. And only the king had an opinion, and only his view counted. Now, let me at this point introduce us to Mordecai. His name also going to come up on the screen. There's a lot of uh, interesting names. Mordecai was Esther's cousin. Esther was also known as Hadassah. Uh, she was from a family who'd been exiled from Israel, but both of her parents had died. And so Mordecai, her cousin, had raised her as his own. Now, we get told about Esther that she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And so we're told that when they start taking women to the palace, it says Esther also was taken. We don't get told if she chose this. We don't get told if Mordecai had any say in the process. I don't know if this was against her will, but the text tells us Esther was also taken to the palace. And so she finds herself there, part of the king's harem. Now, everyone in the king's harem had to undergo 12 months of beauty treatments. Six months treatment of oil of myrrh, six months perfume and cosmetics. Now, ladies, I know you're thinking what I'm thinking. It's like 12 months in a spa, I'm there. <laughs> Maybe not. You know, and which of us wouldn't look great after 12 months of beauty treatments? But anyway, this is what Esther was signed up for. And all of the harem, they'd be treated in this way until basically it was their turn to spend a night with the king. And then they would go into the king and the next day, they would have to return to a different part of the harem. And they would never see the king again unless he summoned her by name. So although the 12 month in the spa sounds great, it wasn't really a great setup for Esther. It's not a situation that any of us would actually aspire to. And let's just cut back into the text again. Esther chapter 2, 15 to 17. It says, when the turn came... For Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tabeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So she's in the harem, she goes to the king, now she's made queen. No one knows of her Jewish background, but she's here in the palace, she's queen of Persia. Now let me introduce another character into the story, Haman his name coming up on the screen there. Now, Haman was the king's right-hand man, and you can imagine in such a powerful kingdom, the king's right-hand man is also a very powerful man. Now, Haman had had a law passed, which meant that people, when they saw him, had to bow down to him. You get the view of what sort of a man this is, yeah? This was Haman. Now, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, used to hang around the courtyard of the palace so he could find out how Esther was getting on and check and see if she was okay. But he refused to bow down to Haman. We don't get told in the text why that was. Was it because he wouldn't bow down to anything other than God? Don't know. Maybe he just really didn't like Haman. We don't get told. But what we do know is that Haman was enraged by Mordecai's refusal. And egged on by his family, Haman plotted revenge, not just against Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people who were the Jews. And so Haman went into the king he didn't actually name the Jews by name, but he said, King, there's a group of people, they're spread across your kingdom, they don't follow the decrees of the king, and I think we should get rid of them. I think we should have a day when anyone can uh, just wipe them out. 
And the king signed, said, okay, send that out. And out it went. Essentially, Haman got legalized a day of genocide against the Jews. Anyone was fair game if they were Jewish, young, old, male, female, children could be taken out. Their goods could be plundered. Not surprisingly, when the Jews across the kingdom heard this, they mourned, they wept, they put on sackcloth, they fasted. And at this point, Mordecai sent a message into Esther and said, basically, you've got to plead with the king for mercy. You've got to go into him. You've got to ask, and we're going to pick up the story again now in Esther chapter 4 and 5. And literally, Esther has just received this request from Mordecai, and she is sending her answer back to Mordecai. All the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. And at this point, the queen then invites the king and Haman to come to a banquet. In fact, on two successive evenings, she invites him. And on the second evening, she reveals that she is a Jew. And then she also discusses Haman's decree. And she pleads for mercy for the Jews. The king is enraged at Haman, and we're told... Haman had had a, a pole put up so that Mordecai could be impaled on it. Nice people they were, as you can see. But actually what happens is the king ends up having Haman impaled on the pole instead. And the king sends out a new decree, which basically says that Jews will be able to protect and defend themselves. And so as we get towards the end of the book, we come to chapter 9 and verse 1. On the day that had been set, when people could have attacked the Jews, it says this. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. And on this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. And so the story concludes, if you like, at the end of the book with the Jews celebrating deliverance and Mordecai honored by the king. It's an amazing story of someone, or really someones, who were chosen by God. 
who were used to save his people. The full text is well worth a read if you've never read it. There's some twists and turns that I haven't had time to include this morning. For the remaining time here today, I'm just going to simply draw out three observations. Observations that I see in Esther and in, and in her journey, which would also be true probably for most of the people that are chosen and we see throughout Scripture, indeed, of Jesus himself, but of how we see God's sovereign choice in choosing us play out and interact with our free will in how we respond to him to be part of his purposes in the earth. So first up, God's chosen are prepared. God's chosen are prepared. We've probably seen this with all the characters that we've looked at in this series. God's chosen are prepared, and yet you choose whether to cooperate. God's chosen are prepared, but you choose whether to cooperate. Now this aspect of preparation, it was unpacked quite considerably by Dr. John when we looked at the life of Joseph. And if you weren't here or you've not listened to the podcast, then I encourage you to go to our website and to do so. You see, Joseph had a prolonged period of preparation of 13 years of some really tough lessons. Last week, we'll have heard about Moses. Moses, having grown up in the palace, then spent 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. 40 years, that's a long period of preparation, yeah? Anyone wants a 40-year period of preparation? You see, it seems that when God chooses people, he gifts them, he anoints them, he positions them, but he also prepares them so that they can carry the thing that he's giving to them. But his preparation requires our cooperation. It requires us to be engaged in the process. Now, Esther's preparation was relatively short by comparison to the men's standards and what they had to go through. And it was her, the gift that had made room for her was her beauty. Now, I'm very grateful we live in a world and a society where women are free to operate in gifts and skills that are beyond their beauty. And we thank God for that freedom and the worth that we're given in our society. But Esther lived in a different world. It was all about beauty and babies. But there was a significant preparation period of investment in her gift, this 12-month period. Her natural gift that she'd been given and was noticed, it made her stand out from the crowd, but it still needed refining, growing, developing. It required a time of preparation. And the same will be true for us with the gifts that we're given. The gifts we're given to bless others and to give glory to God. They will also need developing, honing, activating, practicing, investing in. Now, we may well not be called to such a lofty position as Esther was, although it's worth saying you may be. There will be some of you in the room who will be called to a prominent position. For many of us, that may not be the case. And it's also fair to say that our gifts may not be our looks or our figure. That's okay. I'm finding out from my daughter there are filters you can get to sort that out. And yet still the gifts that we're given, the things that are put in our hands and our lives to steward, those things entrusted to us will require us to be intentional to grow them, to nurture them, a period of preparation. And those things won't all be done to us. Sometimes we've got to be active in cooperating with preparing and working on and investing in the gift. And alongside the development of the gift, then there's also the preparation of our character, what I know in Esther when I read through the book is that we see someone who is humble and who is teachable. I know that she asked, 
She listens. She seeks the opinion and she learns from others. She has a humility and teachability about her. These are godly characteristics, things that God looks for in us. If you read chapter 2 of Esther, we hear that she listened to the suggestion of Haggai, the king's eunuch. Then in 2.20, it says she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Wow, this is the queen of Persia we're talking about and her cousin who had raised her. She's now reigning in the palace, but she's still doing what Mordecai tells her to do from afar. She's teachable. She's listening. She's humble. She's seeking wisdom. She's allowing herself to be led and to be taught. You know, God works in the hearts of those he chooses to make us humble and teachable. To keep us learning, to keep us growing, to make us humble, and then to keep us humble. You know, I had a season of what felt like a prolonged period of preparation. And in that season, there was a point where I received a prophetic word about the state of my heart. You know, sometimes you love to get a prophetic word. Sometimes it's not quite the word that you were hoping for. And I received a word on a Sunday morning and it said, you've been wounded, but you've let your wound get infected. And they said, you need to clear out the infection because only when you've done that can God heal your heart. Now, it was true that I had been hurt and it was also true that I hadn't kept my heart right. And in the months that had followed, there was some bitterness and some pride that had been allowed to fester there. And I was not, as Esther in the Bible was, teachable and humble. And the Lord came to prepare me. He came to say, you need to deal with this. We need to work this out. And, you know, I had to go home and I had to do some work with that and unpick what, what was the wounding that had happened and what was choices I'd made and, and responses in my heart that weren't right that had allowed it to be infected. I had to repent. I had to journey. I had to cooperate with Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful that he came and spoke to me. And I'm so grateful that he helps us to work that through as well. But I had to cooperate. Maybe you're here this morning knowing there's some things in your heart that need dealing with. Maybe the Lord's come and put a finger on them already or spoken to you about them. Or maybe a situation has revealed them. You choose whether to cooperate with him. These things often, they're just part of the preparation of what God's doing because you're chosen. And he's preparing you, refining you. But you choose whether to cooperate and deal with the heart issue. Don't stay where you are with a hard heart. Allow Holy Spirit to work with you. Cooperate with him. Allow him to prepare you so you can do everything that he has for you to do. Now, of course, there's a sense in which our preparation in this way is never over and the Holy Spirit is going to keep working in us until we see Jesus face to face. But God's chosen are prepared. There's investment in the gifting and there's preparation and development of godly character. And we choose whether to cooperate. Secondly, this morning, God's chosen are positioned. God's chosen are positioned. And you choose whether to accept it. God's chosen are positioned and you choose whether to accept it. You know, God's primary way of intervening in the affairs of humanity is through a person. He chooses someone. He sends someone. He positions someone. And that's where we find Esther this morning. She was positioned in the royal palace, 
of the Persian king. And when the crisis hits, Mordecai points it out to her. These famous words of Esther 4, verse 14, and he says to her, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What time was it? It was a time of crisis. It was a time when a voice needed to be heard by the king. It was a time when the Jews needed a face to be seen in front of the king and needed someone to plead for mercy. Mordecai says, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. You see, Esther knew that she'd been chosen by the king. That was maybe a precarious thing. You didn't know how long that would last for. But there's no indication in the text that Esther knew that she'd been put there by God or chosen by God. There's nothing to tell us that she considered that. In fact, perhaps the opposite, because when Mordecai sends the message and said, you've got to go to the king, she replies, I can't. I'm, I'm no more welcome in his presence than any of you. There's a law. I'll die if I go in. She doesn't think she can do anything. You know, you and I, similarly, we can find ourselves in situations and circumstances where there's crisis, either a work situation or our family, or maybe we're journeying alongside someone else and there's crisis in their lives. And in those moments, normally, we don't feel like we're sent. We don't feel like we've been chosen. We don't feel like we know that God has put us here. In fact, most often we question why it's all happening. God, what's going on here? Why is it all going crazy? This isn't how I thought it would work out. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are in the middle of a crisis situation somewhere around your life and you are busy wondering, why is this happening? I want to be your Mordecai this morning. So just perhaps, can you know for sure that God has not positioned you there for such a time as this? Into all your questions, into all your wrestling, let me speak that this morning. Who knows but that God has brought you here for such a time as this? God's way of intervening is always to choose someone and position them, but you choose whether to accept it. You choose whether to view it that way. You choose whether to receive his commissioning and positioning. Most of us will just seek to get out of a crisis as quickly as possible because we don't perceive the purpose for which God has positioned us there. Countless people desperately need God's intervention in their lives, even here in our city. And perhaps you have been positioned in their world for such a time as this, for their crisis here today. Now, there's someone in the church who I've journeyed with over the last couple of years and they won't be alone, but they found the situation in their workplace extremely difficult. You know, they've not always been treated great and they don't always get paid that well for what they contribute there. And they also know that this position isn't the fullness of what God has for them in their life. And it's been tough. You know, probably about 18 months ago, I was conscious they were wrestling, they were struggling, they were pushing doors, applying for jobs, just trying to get out of this situation. Not unreasonably so. And then I spoke with them a few weeks ago and I was just asking how some different applications had worked out. And they said something really interesting. 
They said, I feel a bit differently now. And still all the challenges, they said, but I, I feel I need to stay where I am because there's so much needs doing. I feel I need to stay where I am because there's so much needs doing. You see, the problems are still there. The issues are still there, but they've understood that for a season they have been positioned for such a time as this. And they've chosen to accept it. To allow God to use them there here and now. Now, of course, that time won't last forever. The time will come again when it's right to push the door and to seek the way out to what, ne what is next, but God has positioned them and they've chosen to accept it. You know, most of us, we know that we want our lives to have purpose, and we should do. We were created for purpose, but I think sometimes we make it hard to find that purpose because we're looking for one thing. We're looking for like one thing that our whole life is gonna converge to, a moment of purpose. And I'm not sure that's how it really works out. Of course, yes, we've got distinct gifts and unique things that we can bring to situations. But I wanna suggest to us this morning that God's purpose is to position us as chosen people in different places and circumstances where his intervention is needed. And that means he may require you somewhere for 10 minutes. Or he may require you there for 10 months, or maybe even 10 years, and then reposition you somewhere differently. But his purpose would place us in different seasons. You see, God's chosen our position, but we choose whether to accept it. Thirdly, this morning, God's chosen our favored. God's chosen our favored, but you choose whether to use it for others or to intercede. And if you read through the book of Esther, then the theme of favor is a very strong theme. Particularly as you come into the second chapter, we read that um, the girl pleased Haggai, the king's eunuch, and won his favor. It then tells us that Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Then she goes into the king and it tells us that she won his favor and approval. Esther found herself in a position where she was favored. She was liked, she was well looked after, she was approved of. She was surrounded by wealth and loveliness, queen of the most vast kingdom. She'd been an orphan of Jewish exiles and now here she is, queen of Persia. And yet when Mordecai's request came, she had to choose whether she would act purely to protect her own position and influence and lifestyle or whether she would use the favor she had found for others. Whether she would use her favor to intercede and to act on behalf of others in trouble. And Esther chose, as we've heard in the story, to use her favor. She went in, she asked after she'd got everyone to pray and fast, knowing King Xerxes was a volatile character, knowing that she could lose her life, she chose to use her favor. She said, I will go in, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. It may cost me my life, but I'm going to go. I choose to use my favor for others. And if you read into chapter 5, she goes in and he holds out the golden scepter. Really, it is a gesture of favor, a gesture of acceptance. And when she invites him to the banquet, she makes her request beginning with, if I have found favor, let me make my request to you. 
And the fact that he hears and he answers shows that she found favor. She used it to be able to plead for mercy for those in trouble. Now this morning, you may find yourself positioned uh, somewhere where you've got significant influence just like Esther was. A place where you can use favor that you have for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for the purposes of God. And if that's the case, brilliant, wonderful, carry on. Let us know so we can pray for you as you're in that place. And, we, and I would say this morning, you know, may you know the increased favor of God as you stand in that place. And may you know his wisdom as to when to speak out and what to ask for. But I'm also conscious that for many of us, we don't necessarily stand in places of significant influence, where we can easily transpose this story onto our own lives. And for us, I want us to help us to see that this account of Esther going into the king is also a picture for us of the favor that we have with the king of kings. Now, of course, the two kings are vastly different in nature, and yet we can still learn from the picture. You see, Esther was chosen, and Esther was favored. Paul's words, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Since Jesus Christ went to the cross, it is the time of God's favor. When you are chosen and found in Jesus Christ, you are favored. Friends, we are favored. We have access to the throne room of the King of Kings 24-7. God's scepter is extended towards you in Christ Jesus when you approach him. And he invites you to come. He invites us in. He wants to be with us. He wants to eat with us. In fact, he wants to say to you, what is your request? Like the king said to Esther, what is your request? Friend, this morning you are favored, but you choose whether to use it for others. You choose whether to use it to intercede. Prayer is a way that you can access God's presence for yourself, but also for the needs of others and the mercy that they require. You see, God's chosen are favored, but you choose whether to use it for others. Since the end of January, I've begun praying the prayer of Jabez since I teach us to pray series. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand go with me and protect me from harm. Enlarge my territory. You know, since praying that, God has not repositioned me. He's not opened up anything much more to me, for which actually I'm very grateful. But as I prepared this message, I realized that in the last 10 days, I've sat with two people who function in very different worlds to where I function. In fact, they, their position and situations of power and influence beyond where I suspect I will ever be positioned. And both of them in those conversations, they said, I would be grateful for your prayers. I'd be grateful for your prayers. See, the reality is they're in places of prominence, places of influence and power, places where there's opposition, natural opposition and spiritual opposition. They said, I'd be grateful for your prayers. They need mercy. They need help. I can't stand where they stand. I can't do the thing they do. I'm not chosen for that. But I can use the favor that I have been given with the King of Kings and to go and pray for them, to ask for mercy, for ask for grace and wisdom for them. And so I've added them to my daily prayer list. It's a list of people just simply, you see, every morning, as part of my devotion, I, I'm going into the throne room of God and there's some people that I'm going to bring before him. 
I don't hear God audibly say, what is your request? But I believe he wants to know those things that I request and I bring people to him and I ask the Lord for mercy and help and wisdom and provision for them. It's me using my favor for others. I've added both those people to the list of people who I take into the throne room of God. I also journey for some other people who I know are, I I pray and intercede for some other people who are journeying really tough situations right now. I pray for some who don't know Jesus yet. Some of them have known him before and have fallen away and some never have. I pray for neighbors and friends, some family members. Some of them know they need mercy. Some have got no idea they need mercy. Some think they're doing just fine when really they're not in a great place at all. I want to intercede for them, to use the favor that I have been given, the open door to the throne room of heaven to bring them mercy and to help them find their breakthrough. See, God's chosen are favored, but you choose to use it for others. I could ask you this morning, who's on your prayer list? Who do you regularly take into the throne room of heaven with the favor that you've been given? Whose names are you bringing before the king for mercy? Who are those ones that don't yet know Jesus who you carry in day after day that they might find mercy? Maybe there's people around your life. I know there's people in this congregation journeying just the toughest situations and they need us to intercede for them, to stand for them. Families with members with terminal cancer and terrible illnesses. Who's on your prayer list? It doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It can be five minutes. It's just simply saying, I'm not going to take this favor and use it just for myself. I'm going to use it for others. Maybe today is the day to start. Because there are people in trouble, people needing mercy, people needing rescue and breakthrough. And some of them are waiting for you and I to go into the throne room on their behalf and to find favor and to find mercy that can be poured out from the throne room of heaven into their circumstances. Friends, God's chosen are prepared, but you choose whether to cooperate. God's chosen are positioned, but you choose whether to accept it. And God's chosen are favored, and you choose whether to use it for others. If I can invite the band to come and join me as I finish this morning. It's a wonderful truth that we're chosen. It's so affirming. It's life-giving. How amazing to be chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet it also presents us with some choices. For God chooses us in his sovereignty, but also gives us free will. And so we choose how we respond. And as we bring this series to a conclusion, I remind you again, you're chosen by the Lord of heaven. And you have a choice as to how you respond to him. And I want to encourage you and invite you and exhort you this morning to respond like Esther, who also, as many others in scripture, and also like our very own Savior Jesus, was chosen. They were prepared, but they cooperated. They were positioned and they accepted it. They were favored and they used their favor for others. Jesus himself used his favored position to open the way for every one of us 
that we might receive mercy, that we might be chosen. I suggest to you here this morning that you are here chosen for such a time as this. Here in Coventry, here in your workplace, here on your street, here on your course, in your school, in your social group, chosen for such a time as this, in the timing of God, to play a part in the bringing of his kingdom. And I simply invite you to respond to him this morning. I'm gonna invite you to stand in a moment. Maybe you know that you need to cooperate with his preparation in you. Maybe you know that he's positioning you or he's positioned you and you've been fighting it and struggling and this morning you wanna say, okay, I accept that this situation I'm in, you positioned me for such a time as this. Or maybe you're here this morning and you just say, I know that I'm favored, but I haven't been using it for others. And I need to take this to another level. And that's you this morning. You say, I'm going to use this for others. I'm going to begin to intercede. And if a response to any of those three, if you find yourself wanting to respond this morning, can I encourage you to stand, to open your heart to Him this morning, for Holy Spirit to come and meet you at this point of faith. That He would help you to cooperate. That He would help you to accept where you are positioned. That He would enable you to be one who intercedes. Open your heart to receive. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you choose us to be sons and daughters, but also with purpose, to be part of your plans, to bring your kingdom in the earth because you're not finished yet. And so we say thank you this morning. For we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and meet us in this moment. Would you help us to cooperate in your preparing work in us? Holy Spirit, come and soften our hearts and give us grace. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to accept where you positioned us in this season. Lord, you'd give strength to everyone who stands in a crisis, that you would comfort their hearts today and let purpose rise up in them, that they are here for such a time.